Amen. That's our prayer tonight, right? We are one with Christ. Praise God. Praise God. Tonight, I want to continue to talk to you on this subject that we started last Wednesday evening concerning praying for the lost. Praying for the lost. We are living in a time and a day whenever people don't want to take responsibility for anything. But how many know that's our responsibility to pray? There are intercessors in which we'll talk about tonight, but everyone should be praying. Everyone should be praying. And so uh, tonight I want us to look, uh, continue concerning our praying, and I want to look at Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. Very familiar scripture, perhaps. There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. And moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died. And he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeing Abraham afar off, And Lazarus in his bosom, he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may tip his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in torment in these flames. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou when you lived received the good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he uh, is comforted and you were tormented. And beside all of this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which should pass from here to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that should come uh, from here. Then he said, I pray you, therefore, Father, that you would uh, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that may that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about praying for the lost. Father, I pray tonight that you would just stir our hearts for the lost. I pray, God, that our hearts would truly break. Let it be more than a song, but let our hearts truly break for what breaks yours. God, the mundane, the the things of insignificance, the things of no eternal value. God, let them pass away. But God, the things of value, the things that are eternal, let them remain. And let them be top priority of our life. Let souls be top priority. God, let souls be top priority of everything that we do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We see this story here in Luke chapter 16. Uh, 
as you may have picked up on, we've been in Luke for the last couple of weeks. We looked at Luke 14, we looked at Luke 15, and now 16. Because while Jesus is teaching in parables, he is teaching, and we know that a parable is something that did not happen, but could happen. It is something that didn't take place in reality, but in reality will take place. And so it is uh, to that that we understand that this rich man, when he died, that he was lost. It doesn't suggest to us, I know that some have suggested that if you have money, then then you are, are not saved and or you can't be saved. And it's easier for, you know, the quote the scripture, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. And, and it simply is talking about how that in Bible times they would leave the gate open, right? And how that uh, during the day, but at night they would shut the main gate. The camel would have to be unloaded and then crawl through the smaller eye of the needle that so that he could enter into the city. And it is ser- uh, merely suggesting that we, we, everybody has to do the same. We have to uh, deny ourselves. We have to re- give up everything that is of eter- value to us and put God first in our life if we're going to make it to heaven, right? Amen. I tell you tonight that there'll be a whole lot of rich folk in heaven. Praise God. Somebody's got to advance the kingdom. Somebody's got to pay for this thing. Come on. Amen. Praise God. You see, if you want to be broke, go ahead and stay broke. But God wants to bless us. It's all right to be blessed. And, and so it, it wasn't suggesting because he was rich. It was putting him in a place that showed that he was, uh, that, that Lazarus didn't have anything uh, to end uh, this world, but he had a hope beyond this world. And so it goes on to tell us this story that, that he received good things while he was here, but now Lazarus is in a place of rest and in a place of safety. And then he goes on and... And he, what I want to look at here tonight is he said that there, even if I were able, if someone were able to go from heaven to hell or hell to heaven, he said, there's no way that possible that could take place because there is this great gulf in between us. There is this place between us. Some Bible scholars believe that that will be part of the hell, that that heaven will have the streets of purest gold that will be that that is so crystal that it will be be able to be looked through where that those who are in hell will be able to see their loved ones throughout all of eternity, yet they cannot connect with them. That there will be that great separation throughout all of eternity where that they remember every message that was ever preached, every opportunity ever given, every invitation by a friend or a family member that they rejected and part of the hell will be them seeing them eternally, but never can being able to connect with them. I don't know if that is true or not, but I'm certain that would be hell enough. But to, and, and we'll talk about hell in our series, but, but what I want to do tonight is keep people from hell. 
not so that they'll ever have to find out if that is reality or not, but that we keep people out of hell. And that is our responsibility. We have shunned that responsibility in a lot of churches today, in a lot of Christians' lives. We want the benefits, but we don't want the responsibility that comes with the blessing. But how many know that once you're saved, it becomes your responsibility to get somebody else saved? It, it, it is time for you when you come out of darkness to show somebody else how to come out of darkness. And, and we look here and we see this parable. We see this story of this rich man and we see Lazarus. The rich man doesn't have a name. It suggests that even though he has all of these eternal things, he's a nobody. But even though that Lazarus has nothing, he's a somebody because he, he was given a name. And in scriptures, when you want to find out if somebody is somebody, just see if they've been given a name. Because if there's no name given, if it's a certain man or if it's a a certain woman, then they don't have no significance. But whenever God wanted to impress upon them, he would always give them a name and say, this is Lazarus. He didn't have anything here. He didn't have any eternal or any uh, weight in the earth earth, but he had an eternal existence with me. And so he gives him a name so that we understand he is a person of significance. But then he talks about this great gulf. And this is what I want to look at tonight because there is a gulf between us and mankind. There is a gulf between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. There is a gulf between the church and the world. There is a gulf, uh, a, a, a gap, if you will, between that one that is a Christian and that one which is lost. And so it is in that gap where that people slip into, if you will, eternity lost and undone without God. And so God is looking for someone tonight to fill the gap. He's looking for someone tonight that'll be the bridge over troubled waters, that will be the bridge from, from where they are to where Jesus is. He's looking for someone that'll be that witness, that'll be that light, that'll be that bridge, that'll that'll expand the gap so that they can come into a covenant relationship with Father God. And so that's the reason why that we do all that we do. That's the reason why right there that we do all that we do. Uh, it, it is, and I know some people don't understand what all goes in. We 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 sometimes are uh, get a little pampered by everything that goes on. We we get settled in and we enjoy the benefits of everything going on, but we forget that a price has to be paid. <laughs> And so, and, and, and if you're not, and I don't expect everyone to understand, but, but you know, just, just in keeping the lights on and paying the utilities here, it cost us $53,000 a year. $53,000 a year to keep the lights on, keep the air conditioning on, keep the heat on, keep the bills paid around here. We don't do that so that the worship team has a place to sing and I have a place to preach. We spend $53,000 a year on utilities so that a lost soul can walk through those doors, hear the gospel of the kingdom, and their life be changed forever. Amen. 
We don't go through all of these big events and having four big events every year just so that we can see if we can have the biggest pony show in town or if we can top what we did the last time. We don't do it to see if we can uh, measure up to what somebody else is doing. We do all that we do. We get all of those people involved. You know how it works. We get all of those people involved. We go through all of the process for months on end of planning and preparing not so that we can see how many people we can get in the house but how many people we can get in the house to turn their hearts toward Jesus and their life be changed forever. Amen. We don't do life groups just to say well we've got life groups. You know some folks think life groups are new. You know it's funny. I was thinking about it today. People think they came up with something new. These you know young whippersnappers. They they think they came up with something fresh. I remember whenever I was a kid, mom dragging me to what we call life groups. They didn't have these fancy names. They just, all they knew to call them was prayer meetings, but they would go there and they'd have fellowship one with another. They'd take the, the, the written word and they would share the word and then they would pray for one another's needs and pray for one another's family. It isn't nothing new, but it is something that we do not be so we can see if how many people we can take up your time through the week or how many times we can get you to an event or into a situation but it's so that we can have connectivity so that we can pray one for another so we can build a strong wall and a hedge of protection around each and every family that is represented in the tabernacle so that when the wilds of the enemy come we've got the authority and the power and the strong anointing of the Lord upon each and every family to destroy the devourer and say you ain't going to do it right here. Amen. The reason some 60 to 70 people show up early every Sunday morning and serve in the house of God, stay late, do whatever it takes is because they're believing to show the love of Jesus to somebody. Amen. Why do we do all of that? We do it for souls. Why do we spend this year, we spend over $20,000 in missions. Why do we do that? Because there's souls that are perishing. Why do we plant new churches? Isn't there enough churches? Why would we go and invest thousands of dollars planting new churches? Because there is a dark place even in our region. There is principalities and powers of darkness that have been assigned strategically to Wheeling and to Steubenville and to those areas. Do you know that they're the number three in the suicide and drug addiction in the entire world? And yet we look and we say, why do you spend that money on I tell you why people are dying and going to hell and we've got to put a more greater deposit and a greater responsibility upon the souls than we do to have money in our pockets amen because money will perish why do we do all of this I tell you why we do all of this it's because there is a real hell And people are going there every day. The Bible said hell is enlarging itself. Why? Because the hell was only prepared for the devil and his angels. Never meant for mankind. But who's spanning the gap? Who's making up the hedge? 
who's making an opportunity for a soul that souls do not perish lost and undone without God. You see, hell really is real. I know that I'm preaching to the choir here tonight, but I think every once in a while, even us that are in the household of faith and and nothing can shake us, we just need to be reminded why we're doing what we're doing. Right? Just be reminded the reason why that we do all we do. It's not a job. It's not because of all of this. It's because people are dying lost. And once a person is there, there's no turning around. As a tree falls, so shall it lie. Amen? I know there's these damnable doctrines that tell us that that you can come out of purgatory and you can do all of these, but prove it. Show me in the Bible. Right? As a tree falls, so shall it lie. Either we're going to heaven or we're going to hell. Where, where, where is our hearts? I wish this was a game where we were just seeing how big a church we could build. I wish this was a game where we would just see it, it, whose who's, who's vision that people would connect with the most. And, and then at the end, we'd get some kind of trophy and then we'd all just go happily ever after to heaven. But that's not the way it works. This isn't a game. This isn't just something that we're going through. But we are, we are in a battle. We are in a war. There is a battle that is going on. The power of darkness against the powers of light. And we've got to understand tonight that, that what we are doing is not just to see how we can build our little palace of our own. But we are advancing the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. We are in a real battle of life and death, heaven or hell, and God needs our help. Turn to your neighbor and tell him God needs our help. Amen. God needs my help. God needs your help. Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse, uh, let's, let's just for the sake of Seeing that it's speaking to us, let's let's go up to twenty three. Ezekiel twenty two and verse twenty three. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor rained upon in the days of indignation, and there is a conspiracy of the prophets in the midst of thereof. Like a roaring lion, raving and praying, have devoured souls, and they have taken the treasures of precious things, and they have made uh, their many widows in the midst thereof. And her priests have violated my laws, and have profaned mine holy thing, and have put no uh, difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from the uh, Sabbaths. And I am profane among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves raving and prey to shed blood and destroy souls to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have dabbled them in untampered mortar, seeing vanity and divine dividing lies 
unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord, when the Lord has not spoken. And the people of the Lord land have used oppression and exercise robbery and have vexed the poor and needy yea they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully and I uh, sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before the land that I should not destroy it but I found none therefore I have poured out my indignation upon them and have consumed them with the fire of my wrath there Away uh, have I recompensed upon their heads, says the Lord. Whenever I reread this this week, I wasn't certain if I was reading a historic event or if I was reading what God was saying about us now. He doesn't leave out anyone. He starts at the church. He begins with the priest. He begins to speak to down to the common person, if you will. And he says they're all full of vain ideas. They're all full of sin. And he said that I'm looking for somebody I sought is a very strong word there. He sought, he didn't just glance, he didn't look, but he sought out for a person, a man that would, would stand up among them, that would stand in the hedge, make up the hedge and stand in the gap before the land. But the Bible said he didn't find one person. Not one was interceding in such a wicked time when all of this wickedness was going on. There wasn't one person interceding that God could find. He said, if I could have just found one person to intercede, I would have not had to pour out my indignation. I would not have had to pour out my wrath but because I couldn't find one person interceding, I had to bring judgment upon a nation. If there ever was a time that America church needs to read something, they need to read Ezekiel chapter 22. Because we're living in such a time whenever good is being called bad and bad is being called good. When we're living in a time when righteousness has no value and, and immorality is running rampant and we are living in a time whenever even the church has become tainted with sin and morality. Amen. Even suggesting homosexuality, that, that a person of homosexual lifestyle could stand behind a sacred pulpit and preach the gospel as if they were the voice of God. Whenever the Bible said that's what they were doing and, and saying, thus saith the Lord, and God didn't say. So we're living in this time whenever God is looking for somebody. He is looking for a person. It suggests to us that, that a nation would have been saved and wrath would have not been poured out had he found somebody interceding. God cries out and says enough. And the sad part of this all is if he could have just found that one intercessor on the behalf of the land, judgment would have been avoided. 
And I believe today that while even the, uh, the church of today, an American church, we know that there's a lot of things that are going on. We know that there's a lot that is taking place in the spirit realm. And we know that America has strayed from the truth of values of, of, of Christianity that we have been built upon. And we can sit around and we can talk about it or we can return back to our roots and begin to pray. And if we will begin to pray and intercede, Praise God, God can stop the hand of ISIS. He can stop the hand of the enemy. He can stop the hand of sin where that we will not have to go through the judgment of God. Amen. We'll repent for abortion. We'll repent for homosexuality. We'll repent and cry out to God for these sins that we've allowed to be even infiltrated into our lives. And God said, if I can find me an intercessor that will seek my name, call upon me then I can I can work with them and I can avoid judgment upon their land intercessors link God's mercy to mankind's need intercessors link God's mercy intercession is the umbilical cord of God into the earth whereby that we experience his mercy instead of his judgment and his wrath. We must be intercessors because Jesus was an intercessor. Huh? Isaiah chapter 53 said Christ made intercession for the transgressors. But what's powerful is we see this prophecy is fulfilled in Luke chapter 23 whenever he was hanging on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they've done. Hebrews blows my mind when he tells us in chapter 7 and verse 25, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing we ever li- he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost. You may think they've gone too far, but God said I can still reach them. You may have given up on them, but God hasn't given up on them. We may say that this is their last chance, but God says, I'm still living. Jesus said, I'm still living and acceding for them. On their behalf, I'm crying out for them. Praise God. Why? Because he desires that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Right? But it isn't only just us. It isn't only just God. But we have supernatural help. Hebrews chapter 1 begins to set the stage. And Hebrews chapter 1 tells us about Jesus. It tells us how omnipotent he is. It tells us things about him that should cause us to marvel. Amen. That that should cause us to just look at him in a facet and and just worship him. And in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 13, he tells us, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? He said, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? The first 
chapter here talks about the person of Jesus and declares his greatness. But then here in verse 13, he begins to tell us that God never did this for the angels. You know, a lot of folks have a, a, a negative or a, a limited thought process about their self. And, and they think that they are not much. And then they talk, you know, whenever somebody is wanting to be real humble. They start talking about, well, he's made us a little lower than the angels. Right? And, and quote that scripture there in Psalms. But as I've told you before, and I'll say it again, the writer himself could not bring himself to really declare how awesome mankind is. Because whenever he looked there, whenever you look at that word where he said he made us man a little lower than the angels, that word in the, in the uh, Hebrew is Elohim, which is God. Everywhere else in scripture, it's translated God. But it blew the translator's mind to think that God made us just a little lower than himself. Huh? And he was thinking that angelic hosts should be above mankind. But can I tell you tonight that God didn't send his son to die on the cross when the angels left heaven. Whenever the third of them took flight with Lucifer, he didn't say, oh, I better send my son to save the angels. Right? But whenever man sinned, he said, I'm going to go and rescue mankind because they are my beloved design. They are the ones that I created after my own likeness and my own image. They are the ones that I've created to bring my glory into the earth. And so he talks to us and he says, at any time did God ever tell an angel to come and sit down here on the right side? He says, he says certainly they haven't. But he said, I want you to understand what angels are for. You know, some people worship angels. Some people, you know, they got a fascination of, oh, I've seen angels. I was in one meeting and, and uh, whenever I was preaching and, and this lady, she, you know, after I tell you this story, I won't have to tell you she wasn't quite right, but she just wasn't quite right. And, uh, but she told me one night, she said, uh, I, I was in there washing dishes and said there was this little miniature six inch angel sitting there on on the on the sink and said uh, he was he's explaining the scriptures to me and said I hollered from my husband and said he got in there just in time to see it go down the drain. <laughs> Honest. <laughs> you can't pull much new on me. I've seen just about it. <laughs> crazy. But thank God for angels, but I'm not worshiping angels. Angels, he tells us here, he said, at any time did God ever tell an angel to come and sit down on my right hand? He said, no. But he said, angels are ministering spirits. And what are they for? They are sent to minister to them who are the heirs of salvation. So angels are created to minister to me and to you. Amen. 
They are created to minister to us. Angels ascending and descending, right? What are they doing? They're ministering to the heirs of salvation. And so what we have to understand is this, that angels are ministering spirits and they have come to minister unto us. They have come to be a, 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 a army on our behalf, right? And so when we pray, we send the ministering spirits, amen, angels to go and minister. We send the ministering angels to go and, and do a thing and whatever it is we're praying and they work on our behalf. But I want to tell you that angels are a powerful army that helps us to fulfill the assignment of heaven in the earth. They are powerful. <laughs> you know, whenever they had the atomic bomb was dropped in Japan during World War II, they said that 92,000 people died from that atomic bomb. They were killed. And that is, that is terrible, isn't it? It is terrible. But can I tell you something greater than an atomic bomb? It's when Assyria came after Hezekiah. That Hezekiah, the Bible said, cried out to God. And God sent one angel. Just one angel. And he killed 185,000 men in one night. I'm telling you, angels are bad. <laughs> Amen. I said, angels are bad. They can get the job done. What are you saying, pastor? I'm telling you that he said that, that, that whenever we pray that one, five of us shall chase a thousand, but a, or a hundred, but a hundred of us shall put 10,000 to flight. Amen. What is it? It's the power of God's multiplication system. That the power of unity. When we join together in unity and we begin to pray together in unity for that soul, for that one that is lost, for that person that is without God, that we begin to intercede and the ministering angels come. What are they going to do? They're going to take that word that we have prayed over that lost loved one, interceded over our city, believe God for our region that the drug addiction will not hold us any longer that poverty will not maintain its hold in this place that souls will have a hard time going to hell from this place that open heavens will be really that that, that when people come in they'll run to the altar to get saved again amen if it can happen in Honduras if it can happen in McCurdy Africa if it can happen in Ghana then certainly there can be an open heaven right here in Culloden, West Virginia where people will run to the house of God and be saved. Why is it? It's not because we have done something on our own, but we've enlisted the angelic host of heaven to intercede and to move on our behalf, amen, and to fulfill the will of God, that kingdom of God come, will of God be done, that none should perish, but all should come to repentance, amen. And they begin to, as we talked last week, they begin to shackles, come off of their eyes, their ears begin to hear, and their hearts 
heart begins to receive and their life is changed. Why? Because not just we have been praying, but God the Father has been praying. Jesus is interceding. The angels are invading them. Amen. To change their heart, to change their life. And now they come to hear the gospel and their life is changed. Hezekiah prays. He prays twice. And when he, or excuse me, he prays. And when he prays, it's twice as explosive as an atomic bomb. Don't you ever think that your prayer is just muttering words. Don't you ever allow the devil to talk you into that your prayers are in vain. God said he's bottling them up. (laughs) You thought atomic bomb was bad, huh? He said he's just bottling them up and he's just putting it all in there, right? And he's just going to keep on working it and keep on working it and keep on working it. And they may tell you, shut up. They may tell you, get lost. They may even tell you, get out of the house. Come on, somebody. Amen. But God's still bottling up those prayers of intercession. Amen. And at the right time and the right moment. You see, you can't pick green fruit and enjoy it. I've seen some folk, and I know anybody in ministry has seen it, but I've seen some folk. You remember whenever people try to drag people to get saved? Oh, you need Jesus. And so they torment them so much until they just go do something just to get them off of them. I believe that God can speak to you to go to talk to somebody, but the season will be right. But I've seen a lot of folk in their in their exuberancy and their heart was that that they get saved, but the the, but the the fruit was still green. But at the right time, that prayer of intercession is going to keep working on their hearts. That prayer of intercession is going to wake them up in the middle of the night. That prayer of intercession is going to cause them to get restless. Your prayers of intercession are going to cause them not to enjoy what they used to enjoy. Their prayers, your prayers of intercession are going to shift something in their mind and the way they're thinking and and begin to realize they have a need for Jesus in their life. And at the right time, God's going to take all of those intercession and prayers that have been bottled up and like an atomic bomb, it's going to... And they're going to come to Jesus. It ain't going to come to kill them. It's going to come to give them life. How many would like the atomic bomb of life to go off in this house Sunday? That's everything moving gets saved. (laughs) Amen. Even your crazy aunt and all of those you thought, God, they can't never, God himself can't do nothing with them, but just bring them on bad and ugly and, and just watch the grace of God just so consume them. The love of God just melt their stony hearts until God begins to reveal his love, his grace, and his mercy. Why? Because you dared to intercede. Angels got involved. Jesus is praying for them. And now there is atomic spiritual bomb goes off in their life and their life is changed forever that's the reason why we pray 
when you pray, there is power in your prayers. It's like a laser accuracy that when you pray, it don't just go to somebody, but it goes to that one you're interceding for. It penetrates strongholds, mindsets, and hardened hearts because there's power in your prayers. You may have those children that are wayward, but I want to tell you the seed that has been sown in your life. You ever watch, you know, on, on TV, you can watch anything. I, I watched uh, how those missiles that they got on those planes hits another plane. You know, how it, how it has, it is, it is attracted to that plane. Can I tell you that your, your spiritual prayers are attracted to that, that target? And it will hit the target every time. And it may not seem like anything's going on right now, but just keep on hitting the target. Keep on praying the prayer. Keep on believing the, with faith. Keep on interceding and know that God is breaking down the heart. He is breaking down the mindset and it is penetrating into the deepest places of their heart. And that child may be rebellious now. But what's attracting it? The spirit to him. What's, uh, what's attracting the spirit to her? What's attracting the Holy Spirit to convict them? It's that seed that you sowed. Remember us talking about seed last week? It's that seed that you sowed. And now how many know that, that God is a good steward? And so he's not going to sow seed and not get a harvest from it. <laughs> And so now the Holy Spirit's going back to the seed that you sown even when they were children. And because you were faithful while they were children to raise them up in the way that they should come. Now they may be sitting on a bar stool. Now they may be rebellious. Now they may be going their own way. But the Holy Spirit's attracted to them because of the seed that you've sown into their life. And the Holy Spirit's going to go get a harvest from the seed that you've sown. I'm believing God for wayward sons and daughters to come home. I'm believing God that lives will be literally transformed and changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about feeling better about your mess. I'm talking about your mess getting changed. Amen. Your life getting transformed. Because that's really what it's all about. It's not turning over a new leaf because when you turn a new leaf over, when the wind blows, so does the leaf. But it's about having a new life in Christ Jesus. Or behold, old things have passed away and all things have become new and we're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen. That's what I'm believing God for. It's what I'm believing God for. I've got a heaviness in my spirit. For this hour, this season we're in, there's things that I sense in my spirit that I do not understand. But I know that the, there is good things ahead for the church. I know there is good things ahead for the church. And I know that God is going to take this that is meant for evil. And if he can find an intercessor... If he can find somebody that will intercede, 
that we can not have the judgment and the wrath, but we can have the mercy and the grace of God in this hour. Amen. Hallelujah. How many will believe with me today? Let's stand together. I want us to take a few moments tonight and I want us to pray for those that you've been praying for those cards that you've been giving out. Maybe you don't even know their name. How many know you can pray for intercede for somebody in the spirit and they may be in Africa. They may be in Guatemala. They may be downtown Milton, right? You may not even know their name, but when you begin to pray in the spirit, the spirit can direct you and begin to speak those words and speak those names and intercede on behalf of those maybe who don't even have nobody to intercede for. But because we're willing not that any should perish, but we are praying for the harvest, God will target them. And through the spirit, we can begin to intercede that their life can be changed. Amen. And so you may be, maybe you went through, you know, McDonald's and paid for somebody's meal this week. Maybe you, you, whatever you, you, however you have distributed cards this week and you may not even know their names, but the Holy Spirit knows them. I said, the Holy Spirit knows them. And so we're just going to intercede tonight and we're going to ask God to touch them. But if you do know their name, I want us to lift it up because I don't, as I said last week, we ain't, we ain't going to have shotgun prayers. We're going to have rifle prayers. Amen. We're going to penetrate. We're going to shoot straight. And we're going to believe God that our family is going to be saved. It's wonderful for somebody else's family. Thank God for that, right? But what about your children? What about your spouse? What about your in-laws? Parents? Let's intercede for them tonight. Let's ask God to touch them. Father, we come to